Happy Monday. How's it going, everybody? Good morning. Happy Monday. Good. Hey, what's up, Chad? How are you? Hey, Joe. Hey, Matt. Doing oh, well. Look who we have. Uh, actually, Bill. Bill Inman just joined. Bill. What's up, Bill? How's it going? Hey, Bill. It's going fine. Hi. How's it going, guys? Hey, good. Good. Good to see you. Uh, good morning. Yeah, I was just uh, telling the guys you might, might actually make, make a cameo appearance here. So, uh, lovely to see you as well. So, how's your morning going? Uh, good so far. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> guess we'll see if we can ruin it for you. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. So awesome. So yeah, we uh, now have uh, Chad Sanderson and Bill Inman. Um, so this would be a really fun discussion. I was um, joking with uh, Chad and uh, Matt. I kind of see Chad as the uh, the second coming of uh, Bill Inman in some ways, given the uh, post he has on uh, uh, LinkedIn. I think it's pretty awesome. I, I, um, he's uh, he's resonating. I think a lot of things you were you've been talking about, Bill. So. But but he's a lot better looking than I am. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know about that <laughs> i do that's uh, awesome chad i think you were talking about this what'd you call it the horseshoe effect yeah horseshoe theory horseshoe you theory. yeah basically um have one set of ideas at some point in time you're solving a problem people try to iterate over it optimize on that idea and then at some point you arrive right back around where you started again and we're kind of getting there in the data industry, I think, when it comes yep. to modeling and yep. architecture. I agree. It's interesting. I mean, in your career, Bill, what what if, what are some of the um, what are some of the themes that you, you you've kind of seen, uh, you know, sort of come in waves? Uh, I, mean, I think you, if anybody, would have that perspective. Well, <clears throat> let me tell you my perspective. When you look at the history of our industry. Our industry is actually a very immature industry. If you compare us to medicine, uh, to legal, to accounting, you go back to the, the pyramids in Egypt, and the pyramids in Egypt, uh, most of the hieroglyphics are some accountant talking about how much grain is owed to Pharaoh. Or if you go to the streets of, of, uh, uh, of Rome, you find out that the walls at, in Rome were designed by an engineer 2,000 years ago. So when you take a look at our profession, uh, our profession is is immature compared to other professions, and and that's not a that's not a statement a pejorative statement. That's simply a statement of fact. It, it, uh, we've been a, our industry's been around since approximately 1960, and 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 we are an immature industry. So uh, a lot of what I see today is stems from the fact that uh, uh, the immaturity uh, uh, of our industry. And uh, when our industry first got started, uh, people were sitting at their desks in their, in their offices, in their corporations, and suddenly one day there was this thing called the computer. And what, and what happened was, uh, the corporation looked around and said, okay, we need somebody to manage this thing uh, called the computer. And the people that were selected had no background. Now, that's not their fault because they, there, there was no uh, education. There were no courses in college. There, there, there were no books. There was nothing. And, and so uh, the corporation said, well, maybe accountants understand the computer or maybe engineers understand the computer. But the people that were selected to make decisions about technology had zero background for understanding technology or understanding how to manage people. And, and so a lot of the, uh, uh, and, 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 and if you don't believe me, take a look at Gartner Group. And I have nothing against Gartner Group. In fact, I think Gartner Group has done a lot of good things for our industry, but what other industry needs a consulting company to lead them to the buying decisions that they make? It's only the IT profession uh, that that uh, that has that uh, that group. The Gartner uh, that if you're a if you're a manager at a large corporation, in order to make a large purchase, you have to go get it uh, authorized through Gartner. Gartner, and 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 they don't do that in medicine. They don't do that in, in, in law. They don't do that in accounting. They don't do that anywhere else except our industry. So 
that's a, a little bit about the perspective that I have. It's really interesting. Um, you know, do you have any thoughts on that chat or Matt? I think that that's uh, a lot of context. There, but it kind of flows into the discussion we were having before the show too. So, yeah, I, I think, I, I think that's, that's definitely true. And I, and I don't, I certainly don't think that that problem has uh, abided yet in data. One of the things we were mentioning before we got on the call was how in your modern startup, it's very rare to have a data architect or a data engineer as an early hire. Usually it's exclusively software engineers because the model is build a product as fast as you possibly can, lower your cost of acquisition, get that in front of a VC and raise your next round of funding. And inevitably there comes a need for data. Some executive needs to make a decision in the more modern startup world. Maybe you need a machine learning model or something like that. And so it's often on the burden of the software engineer to think about data infrastructure, to go and make the purchasing decisions, to go and uh, you know stand up any open source technology, to even put together the, the first iteration of the data model. And they have no idea what they're doing oftentimes. And it's not their fault. They were trained on something totally different, but now they're being asked to treat a data infrastructure problem as if it was a pure uh, software engineering problem. And there's many, many years of history, um, obviously, which Bill has significantly contributed to that get forgotten. And then later, the, the data architects come in, the data engineers come in, and they're sort of left with this mess, and they're spending all their time sorting through the mess instead of doing any real innovation and, and pushing the industry forward. Oh, you have no idea how true that is, Chad. I mean, I mean, I mean, that's that's not the truth. That's the gospel truth. I, I have seen this play out multiple times from like really big companies. I, I will say this, and I, I'm I'm sure that there's a lot of um, insightful listeners on the show now, and I and I don't need to be um, overly explicit. But some of the big companies that you really think have their stuff together, like you think about them as these are the, the technical giants that are leading the way. If you actually look at some of their infrastructure and you look at some of the decisions they've made about their data, it's like, wow, this is, this is worse than, than companies that, have, that aren't even in the cloud. In fact, it's way worse. Very common. Yep. You know, you know I, I liken uh, data architecture and the understanding of infrastructure to, 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 to the buying of a casket that people do not buy caskets until they absolutely have to. Now, ultimately, all of us, one way or the other, are probably going to need a casket uh, when we die. But nobody buys a casket until they are forced, forced to buy a casket. And yet, in reality, um, if you're in tech, you should probably think about buying data systems pretty early, ah, especially now that they're not a multi-million dollar purchase anymore, right? You can go and start consuming 10 or 20 bucks a month on a data warehouse type platform. Now, Bill, to your point, I don't mean by that that this is actually a data warehouse, more like it's a cloud MPP system that's pay-as-you-go and you can start processing data at a basic level. Uh, but then to Chad's point, you, you do that and your, your schema could end up completely screwed up. So Matt, Matt, you yeah. mentioned a word that is a verboten word. You mentioned the word think. And, 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 <laughs> and uh, 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 people in our industry are not trained to think. They, they, they are trained to follow what the vendor tells them they need to do. <clears throat> I think that's very true. And, and, I, and I think that, you know, the other, the, the other reason I like the analogy of the casket is that I think in a lot of ways, that is exactly how the business sees it. When they're making these initial investments, they do not see the data investment as an opportunity to generate ROI. It's a tax that they have to pay because yep. they're not able to get their insights fast enough. Yep. Yeah, and it's funny too because I think we've seen, especially Joe and I in our consulting, but I think more broadly across our industry, we've seen the rise of what we call data apps, and it, this is you know it's a buzzword, but basically means that you start feeding analytics back into your application. Analytics aren't just for the business anymore; it's not for people to analyze advertising data after the fact. It actually feeds straight back to the user and affects the user experience. 
And yet, even when that's the case, you have people making decisions about these data systems that know nothing about analytics and they'd use the wrong type of database. It creates a huge... Well, they're, they're viewing it from the lens of software engineering yep. or, or whatever exactly. practice they come from. Yeah. It's like, oh, we need to do... I'd say the majority of the requests we get nowadays are for um, you know, embedded analytics use cases. So, you know, and customer dashboards or um, uh, what else? ML models that have a feedback loop to an application, right? But, but, it, it, but it, it's... A lot of the data being provided upstream from the source systems, it, it doesn't really have a, there's no empathy for the downstream use cases. And yet the, the same software engineers are responsible for reincorporating that data back into their products. I think I'm, I'm hopeful that there's going to be a change, um, you know, in, in practices around that. But, you know, as Bill's kind of alluded, uh, <laughs> he's been seeing the same, uh, same things play out for, for decades. So um, who knows? It's good to dream, I suppose. So. But you also mentioned vendors, Bill. I think there's another aspect where we're seeing, um, and Chad kind of mentioned this too, with uh, these big tech companies where they, uh, the systems on the surface, you'd think that they're doing a lot of great things. And I'm sure they are for what they're trying to do, but I think that's a key part. They're trying to do what they were, they're making systems for their use case. And but I think there's also a lot of cargo culting in that area too, where people are like, oh, well, Google does it. So obviously I need to do it at my two person startup as well. So, yep. so yeah. A lot. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely true. And sort of to go back to the an earlier point that you were just making, I think that the I, th I think it, it I think that what you said is exactly correct. Where in these in a lot of in most first party data sources, you have software engineers that are thinking pretty much exclusively about their service, right? I need some data so that I can make my application function. And they're not thinking at all about what the downstream use case is going to be, whether it's analytics, whether it's machine learning, which is becoming increasingly more important. And now you have, you know, huge amounts of money that are flowing into these machine learning models, which I think is why this conversation is starting to gain um, a, a lot more traction, especially recently. So my belief is that what you said of there actually needs to be a decoupling of the production services, the, the, the application use cases and the data use cases from the perspective of the software engineer, that must happen. It's, it's not, a, it's not a, a, a wishful thinking that will happen. I think it, it must happen. Otherwise, these, um, the, the cloud data warehouses, which I, I put in air quotes for obvious reasons, are going to continue spiraling out of control, both from uh, a, a, a literal um, compute cost perspective because the queries are so unbelievably complex and also from a human capital perspective because it is incredibly difficult to maintain a system like that. You have to incrementally add, uh, you basically have to scale your headcount linearly as you get more data. And as we sort of head into this economic downturn, I think companies are not going to be as willing to do that as they used to in the past. Yeah, that's an interesting one because I, I feel like the the cloud, I'll call them cloud MPP systems, let's say that, they have reduced a certain type of burden. In other words, you're like software maintenance, your hardware, all the stuff that you used to have to do to have a, a, an MPP system, they've removed that burden, but certainly not the human burden of maintaining really complex queries. And it's not the size of the data anymore that's the issue even, or even that drives spend, it's the complexity of the queries fundamentally. And so the complexity of the data use cases that really drive this high headcount and ultimately the CPU usage as well. I think you hit on this a lot, Bill, where it's, it's data integration, right? And transformations, like that's where all the values derive, but it seems to be like this weird lost art almost. Uh, <laughs> uh... I, I just got through sending this weekend uh, uh, a book to the publisher on data integration because uh, 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 it, it, uh, uh, data integration is what consultants, vendors, and IT technicians hate. And I mean hate, and I, I, don't, I don't use the word hate lightly. I mean they hate it. And why? Because it takes, it's difficult, it's complex, it takes time. Uh, you're going to make mistakes, uh, 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 and and so uh, Teradata, IBM, Oracle, SAP, uh, uh, Arthur Anderson, uh, 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 all of the companies out there hate integration, uh, and and the irony is is 
at the root of being able to look at data on an enterprise level, you've got to do integration. And uh, uh, when I was talking with my publisher, uh, as far as we can tell, there are no, no books on integration that are out there. And I'm not going to say that the book that I wrote is going to sell a million copies, but I'm going to tell you somebody in our industry needed to sit down and write out how do you do integration because, because uh, it's got to be done and, and the vendors sure not going to do it for you and consultants sure aren't going to do it for you. Uh, it's a dirty word in our industry. I think for the audience uh, who don't know what data integration is, can you uh, quickly describe what that is? Uh, it's the ability to uh, look at data uh, in a corporate enterprise-wide level, to, to be able to sit there and say, okay, I may have all of these different applications, but in answering such questions as how many customers do I have? How many products do I have? What revenue do I have? And being able to get a true corporate answer to those questions. And Chad, let me ask you this. How, how does this fit into the conversation about like early stage startups? Do they also have a data integration problem that software developers are struggling to solve? Oh my gosh. They have probably the worst data integration problem because they, they're not thinking um, when, when you're, and part of this, part of this is due to the, the modern um, funding environment, right? Where you have mm. a venture capitalist and the venture capitalist says, I'm going to give you enough money for a year of runway and you can hire four to five software engineers. And that's basically it. And your job is going to be build out an MVP as quickly as you can get customers, um, spin up the absolute bare minimums that you need to answer simple questions about the data, but really the focus is on the product. It's focused on the, 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 the features and, and so on and so forth. And that when that is the the culture of this this enormous amount of like venture capital money flowing into startups it never really goes away right there the never really comes a point where the company says okay we've gone way too far in one direction where we haven't done any modeling we haven't focused on data integration at all in the slightest bit we should probably start thinking about this i think software engineering also has this problem by the way when it just comes to general technical scalability of their applications although oftentimes you have an engineer with some level of power and authority in the room that can say okay look we are about to hit the the, the breaking point of our services here if we continue down this road of infinite growth and um, we we have we like we need to go through a refactor. We need to go through a redesign. We have to slow down, and that needs to be enforced in the product. And there's not really a person um, doing that in, for for data. Most people sit way too downstream. So either they don't understand what what is actually happening in the infrastructure, or they're, they're they are infrastructure people. So they're data engineers, but they weren't brought in to be designers. They weren't brought in to, to, to interact with the product at all. They were mainly brought in to be custodians of the data that already exists and make the pipelines better for the product teams that are trying to use them. And so there is, there is no culture of saying like, we need to have a, a, a conversation about data and we, like, we need to have a, a refactor and a reorganization and build out our logical model. It just, it just doesn't happen. And I think before it happens, you, you actually have to make the case of why it is valuable to the product and why it is valuable to the software engineer specifically, because that's who holds the reins to these things. If you can convince those people why it has meaning for them, then you're going to start seeing the, the conversation, I think, shift in that direction, which, by the way, is exactly the conversation that we've been having at Convoy. Makes a lot of sense. And I, I feel like there has been a shift in buzzwords. And as much as I hate buzzwords, buzzwords do have an impact. So, you know, 10 years ago, the buzzword is there's an app for that. In other words, start, create a startup, create apps for the iPhone, for the web, get people interacting with the front end. That's how you get users. Um, ultimately, you want an app like Uber that can actually do something interesting, but it's got to look cool and it has to suck people in on their phone. And in the last like five years, one of the buzzwords has been AI. 
And I think one of the issues is that people aren't connecting that buzzword with the fact that you actually need a good data model to make sense of data with AI or even with business analytics and BI. Yeah, I think that's absolutely the case. And this is one of the reasons why the conversation has come to a head in Convoy. I, I don't know if anyone on the call is familiar with Convoy's business model or what we do, but it's a, it's a digital freight marketplace. And that means it's a two-sided marketplace. On one side of the market is a shipper that's trying to move some freight. And then on the other side is a carrier that's trying to take the freight. And the whole business model is being able to automate that relationship as much as humanly possible mm -hmm. through an auction. So we need a machine learning model that helps us figure out when should we stop an auction? What should an auction be priced at? Um, how does the shipper know whether or not the shipment's going to arrive on time? These are all predictions that we have to make and we have to leverage data. And so because of that, because we weren't making those data investments, our predictions were just wrong. <laughs> they were just the incorrect predictions. And so that is what drove that conversation. There's a very real, tangible, product-oriented business outcome that can be solved by making better upfront data investments. Yeah, and it's funny, something we frequently see is that companies that are working on like predictive modeling and recommendations, in many cases, um, they can get a lot of value without using anything that's truly like ML or deep learning or anything like this. It's really a lot of statistics and business intelligence, but if the data model is not there, then you can't get those things to work. You can't even get BI to work without it. Well, as we always say, I mean, most companies are barely doing BI, let alone AI. <laughs> yes. So it's, you know, it's just, it's kind of how it is. Um, I mean, I actually got a question here, uh, back to data integration real quick. Uh, Lucas asks, um, uh, not sure this form to be able to ask questions, but hey, you're asking it, so I'll, we'll see if we can answer it. Um, how do you view vendor solutions such as uh, MDM, uh, I guess and that's uh, Master Data Management, as making integration um, easier or harder? Um, Phil, any, any thoughts on this one? Well, yes. And I don't want this to be construed as, as something terribly negative, but, but MDM focuses only on structured data. It doesn't focus on all of the data in the corporation. At least that's been my experience with MDM. Now, what that's like is like going into a... Um, um, uh, the world and saying, I am going to understand water in this world. So you go outside and you have a stream and you have a stream that's got water in it. So you think you understand water. The truth is there's all kinds of other water on this earth. There's the ocean, there's lakes, there's, there's, there's big rivers. And just because you understand a stream does not mean you understand all of the, 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 the water uh, uh, in the world. And so uh, uh, MDM has a, uh, an Achilles heel that, that it doesn't look at textual data. Uh, it doesn't look at uh, 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 analog uh, IOT data. And so, and now, now having stated that, we need MDM. I, I, MDM for what it does is, is, is something that is, is very necessary and very good, but, but, but it, it is extremely limited in terms of its scope. Yeah, maybe one of us should define what MDM is. Uh, some of our listeners may not know the term master data management, but what, it, what is master data management and what's the point of this master data management more importantly? It's my understanding on MDM that at least the ones I've seen, we look at files, we look at databases, we look at keys, we look at attributes, and we look at indexes. And we try to give definitions to uh, and unification of those things. And, and again, do we need those things? Absolutely. Yes, we do need those things. Uh, uh, but is this a full picture of reality? This is only a small snapshot of the data in your corporation. Yeah, I think as you, you pointed out, and you know, we've chatted often about this, but it, you know, a lot of data is text, you know, and uh, just the data that's not recorded in a database. So, yeah, Convoy, do you do you, do you deal a lot with uh, I, I guess unstructured data, Chad? Not that much right now, but okay. that's more of a that's that's more of a a decision based on the limitation. Of our of our own thinking, right? Like we've mm -hmm. we've sort of decided, let's focus on the data 
that makes the most sense for the tools we use, which is like Snowflake. Um, and there will come a time, I think probably in the near future when textual data will become incredibly important to our machine learning models. Like we need to read a contract um, and make decisions. So we're not doing too much of that today. But it's funny, I mean, MDM is still a struggle, even with structured data, even with data that's nicely formatted, even with data that's generated by your own applications, like identifying, okay, this person hits the site on a device and this other person hits the site on a device. Are they the same person or not? If we're trying to model advertising or recommenders or any of these things, um, answering that question is really critical. I mean, in, 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 MDM leads to political strife. And once you get into political strife, God help you. <laughs> Tell us more. <laughs> <laughs> political strife is an interesting thing, too. I, I, I want to touch on this because I think I've been chatting with people about this on and off for several months, but it seems like a lot of the same questions we've been trying to tackle um, and data uh, keep popping up. Right. So. Um, politics, organizational issues, this kind of stuff. Uh, it, it seems to always, it, it, the technology these days is awesome. It's great. I, I sense it's always going to get better too, because that's what technology does. But inevitably, we always come across, you know, people issues, political issues, all this other kind of stuff. Um, Bill, I mean, you, you have the uh, definitely the longest context of anybody here, um, probably all of us combined. Um, what? So, I mean, what what are some of the recurring themes um, with uh, political strife um, that you've seen in, in your career? And um, I guess were there any ways to to alleviate these, or is it just kind of is what it is? What are your thoughts on this? Right, wrong, or indifferent. Uh, data is viewed as the key to ownership. And ownership is the key to power. And, and people around the world like power. And when you give up your data, you're giving up power. And, and, and uh, as long as the organization has people that are concerned with their own power and their own power base, it's very, very difficult to have an enterprise understanding of data. I totally, I totally agree with that. And funnily enough, I've actually seen this happen from the opposite end of, as well, where there are teams that want to own their data, they, the things that they have a really good understanding of and that they're using in their machine learning models and their dashboards. It's, okay, we'll own this. But if we're going to be consuming something from upstream, we don't want to own that at all. And in a lot of those, we don't want to own this cases because we don't want to be on the hook for it if it breaks mm -hmm. and we don't want to get in trouble. That happens because your, your services are not designed in a way that actually maps to the real world description of the business. And therefore you have these gaps. So you might have an entity that exists in the real world, but it doesn't exist as a service. And somebody has to build that concept in the warehouse. And then the question becomes, well, who owns this really, really important concept that everyone has to use? And it sort of gets juggled around and eventually the quality falls off. Yep. But I guess, has it ever, have you ever seen, um, I guess, political issues with data uh, fixed, Bill? <laughs> yeah, let me, let me tell you a little story. Uh, once upon a time, this is, I believe this to be a true story. At least it was told to be a true story. There was a guy named Mark Hurd that came from Teradata to Hewlett Packard. Uh, when he came to Hewlett Packard, there were, oh, I don't know how many accounting systems at Hewlett Packard. Hewlett Packard was organized as a decentralized company with, with all kinds of little, there's a, a, a medical products unit, there's a, uh, a consulting unit, there's, a, there's this unit and that unit, whatever. And Mark Hurd said, okay, folks, we need to unify our accounting systems. So he chose, I don't even know which one he chose. He chose some accounting system, and then he sent a message out. He says, as of today, this is the accounting system for Hewlett Packard. If you don't like this accounting system, uh, it's been nice knowing you, uh, uh, and, and we will arrange for you to find 
a recruiter to find your talents. But uh, 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 if you if you want to keep your job, you're going to go to this computing system. Now that was a little bit of a draconian measure, but but it worked, and 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 that's what it took to get Hewlett Packard uh, unified onto a uh, a, a system. And uh, I I I actually I know Mike Mark Mark Hurd. I've been at conferences with him in the past, and uh, 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 in terms of having courage, in terms of having uh, the guts to do something like that and make it stick. Uh, that's how, now that's, that's, that's a hard way to make political decisions, but that's how I've seen it work. What's the balance between command and control where you need someone to centralize something and say, all right, this is how we're going to define a customer, whatever definition it is. Some, someone has to centralize that someone has to take it over versus distributed teams. So say, you are in a startup that started to grow and you have 100 employees and you have a bunch of different feature teams and maybe they're handling some of their own data, data mesh style. What's the balance between those two considerations? Yeah, I think w this is something that we have been thinking about a lot at Convoy recently. We're actually going through this transition now where Federation makes a lot of sense in some ways and in other ways it doesn't make a lot of sense if you don't have the infrastructure or the mentality to pull it off um one of the like one of the hardest parts is not necessarily agreeing on what a customer is i found that those conversations if they happen can be relatively straightforward you get the software engineers who own the service that's producing the unique ID of a thing called customer. Um, there might That might be happening in three or four different places and there needs to be some reconciliation that happens. And that is, a, that is a tough conversation to have, but I find that when there is like proper motivation to have that conversation, it, it can and does, and, and does happen. I think the, har the much harder part is how do you get the conversation to happen in the first place? How do you get these these software engineers? They're working on their own problems. They're, there's product managers that are working on their own problems. They're trying to solve their own issues to start to start thinking about why data reconciliation is important and why uh, overall sort of um, data integration in general is important. And I, there actually is, an, is a pretty interesting example of this that we went through that I think um, resonates. It, it probably resonates with a lot of folks that work on um, sort of like customer service systems. Where uh, this is a this is I was, I was actually dealing with this just a couple of weeks ago at Convoy and essentially we had uh, we have a, a very large customer service team at Convoy um, big operations wing we're con constantly dealing with uh, interactions with carriers who have to call us because something happened maybe they can't pick up a load maybe their truck broke down or a shipper has to cancel a load or they need it moved early or something like that we are a broker and so. The, because the software engineering team um, that started building a lot of our communication services to understand when we get phone calls, when we get emails, when we get SMSs, they weren't connected to the downstream use cases at all. They weren't connected to the analysis sort of per portion of the workflow is that they built the data model for those systems in such a way where like we're missing critical IDs. So to, so to be specific, like we were not capturing any information about the shipment that the call or the SMS or the email was pertaining to, nor did we know the thread of communication. So we weren't able to figure out, okay, this is an email, which is actually a long, is the, is the latest in a long chain of communication, which includes, uh, which includes phone calls and it includes uh, SMSs and things like that. And so, what the data scientist who was working on this problem was able to do was to go to the was go go to the team that actually owns those services and say, "Here's the real world business outcomes that that I the the questions that I can't answer because you are not giving me the right data." And having that context allowed this to turn from a oh, well, this isn't really something that we want to do. Our service, it, it doesn't really matter to our service to like, okay, wait a second. 
we're actually impacting the business by not providing this information. And, and we're going to be on the hook if this data scientist decides to go to an executive when the executive asks, you know, what has been the outcome of our the, the updates that we're making to our customer service team? And there's no answers to that. I think that has to be in order for these things to change in a more federated way. Like that has to be the conversation that's happening between the data consumers and the engineers. It's like skin in the game, basically. Skin in the well, game. Yeah. Let me answer that question a little bit differently, more from a technician's answer. And and by the way, the answer that I'm going to give you is not the complete answer. I know it's only part mm. of the question. But when organizations need to, to have uh, a local view of the data and an enterprise view of the data, uh, uh, what they need is a clear delineation between the data that needs to be integrated and the data that doesn't need to be integrated. Uh, one of the mistakes that corporations make over and over again is, is all my data needs to be integrated. And that's mm -hmm. not true. That the, 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 the different organizations are going to have data that is peculiar to them and that they need they need on their own. And, and uh, uh, that's that. There's other data that does need to be integrated across the organization. So when you, you talk about the issue of how do we organize things so that uh, we satisfy the needs of people, you have to make that distinction between uh, what data is needed to be integrated and what data does not need to be integrated. Because if you end up trying to, uh, uh, trying to integrate all of the data in the corporation, you end up trying to boil the ocean. And I got news for you, you ain't gonna boil the ocean. That is a very useful insight because I, <laughs> I, I've i rarely seen companies really clearly make this distinction and say, okay, you guys can own this analytics data over here, but this is the data warehouse data that we're gonna cleanse. I, I've seen so much data crammed into on-prem MPP systems that had no business being in those systems. And not only yep. in terms of use case, but just technologically, it's like this crazy text data that did not, shouldn't be in Teradata, you know, and wasn't handled correctly. <laughs> so yep. that's the, just having that conversation, I think, and just setting that out as a conversation that companies need to have has a lot of value. A to, lot of value. Yeah, to maybe, to maybe, I, I think I think Bill's point is, is right on the money and the way that I would sort of I would frame this and how I've seen it at Convoy and other places is that there is a major collaboration problem between uh, data producers and consumers. And in a way that exists uh, specifically for data and, and doesn't exist for other parts of the product, You're, there's a really good collaboration model between, say, like a product manager who's trying to come up to solve a customer problem and build a feature and the engineer who actually implements that feature. And there's lots of tooling around that. There's Jira, there's all these, there's, there's GitHub, there's all these things where you can track, you know, track the code, make sure that it's clean. Um, same thing with design. If you're a, if you're a UX designer, there's, there's a pretty good collaboration system between the person who's coming up with the interfaces and, and the, and the, the software engineer who has to implement those interfaces um, there's, there's lots of, of good frameworks these days from like working with react components in the design. So the software engineer can very easily translate that into code. Whereas that, that relationship of here's the data that I actually need. I don't need everything right now. I don't, I don't want to boil the ocean as Bill said, but I do need some things. There's some important things that are missing. There, there's some like important entities that I need to own and here's what those things are and here's what they look like. That collaboration model uh, does, doesn't exist at many companies today that I've observed. Well, I mean, kind of fast forward. I mean, so data mesh is a big topic these days. Um, how does this, um, I guess, how do we reconcile this with, uh, you know, the, um, I guess a lot of companies intend to do data mesh, um, but, but, you know, the collaboration may or may not exist in these companies and, and so forth, which I think would be prerequisites. So curious about your thoughts. You may not, you may be sorry you asked that question. Uh, okay. Well, we actually, we started this conversation the last time we talked, right, Bill? And, and basically you were saying it's not that data mesh per se is bad. It's that if you don't have some centralization, you're going to be in for a bad time. I think that's kind of where we left off. 
And the way I look at the data mesh, I, I look at the data mesh two ways. First off, I do not look at the data mesh as a confrontational uh, 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 approach to data warehouse. I think that uh, done properly, data mesh and data warehouse ought to be complementary to each other, number one. Number two, on a very negative note, a lot of people that want to do data mesh are trying to not do integration. The, the, the data mesh is just another way of avoiding to do integration. So the good news is I think that data mesh and data warehouse ought to be complementary to each other. The bad news is, is that if you're doing data mesh to avoid integrating your data, <clears throat> you're not going to get where you want to go. Yeah, what, one of the the existential challenges I think around data mesh is is the is, is implementation speed. You sort of have this interesting place where most of the companies that I've observed that are really thinking about data mesh are pretty far along the maturity curve in terms of data, and they're trying to solve a new set of problems, and oftentimes the people who are pushing data mesh within the organizations where it gets some traction are very senior. It's like the CTO, maybe a CDO, maybe someone who can put you know, a little birdie in the ear of the CTO. And they're able to make really big sweeping changes, massive changes to the data organization and really to the organization of the company as the general. You're basically re, you're doing a refactor of your of your entire company right like yeah. you're, now you're thinking in terms of, of data products and domains and aligning uh, features and and product outcomes to like data outcomes this is a, a truly a, a gargantuan effort and I don't think that in the state data meshes today that makes sense to the 99 percent if you are just trying to grow quickly and you you need data because you're trying to answer a question about like, how much margin did we make over the last three weeks? Or um, I'm trying to run an experiment on a feature and I wanna understand how that did, and I, or I wanna understand the life cycle of a customer. Do I need to go through an entire refactor of my company in order to achieve that? I think that, you know, d data mesh and, and a lot of the pushes for data mesh, it, it reminds me of um, some of the outcomes of Agile and how yeah. the 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 really great outcomes for agile even though the, there was there was all sorts of reasons to use tools like github um, for for source control but one of the, one of the things i think it did for the culture was people said well now we have a really simple way of moving to agile right like instead of having to do all this ourselves instead of having it to be a manual transition where we set up all these devops organizations within the company well, now Agile sort of becomes a natural part of our process because it's a very easy thing to do. And I think that at some point, maybe that will happen with data mesh, but I actually think it should happen for the data warehouse first. And if you can do it with the data warehouse, then all the benefits will cascade throughout the rest of the whole data stack, which includes the data mesh and includes things like semantic layers or whatever. But I think you have to start with that logical model to begin with. And more broadly, I mean, we, we started talking about this before the show. <clears throat> this is a huge topic, but what are your thoughts on how we attack data with Agile? I think it's been a struggle, and part of that is just the complexity of centralized data modeling in a data warehouse, for example. Yeah, I think that there's, um, I, I, think, I think that there's a few, like, important there's a few important cultural concepts that need, need to be in place before you can really start to think about Agile for data. And there's a few technical limitations that exist today as well that are solvable um, in the existing world because I think all the tools, generally speaking, exist. So on, on one side, I think that one of the big shifts that teams can make today is switching to a uh, data definition first versus pure consumption workflow. Meaning that the consumers are going to your software engineers and they're saying, these are the things that I need to solve a business use case, right? I need this data, I need this event, I need a property from this entity, and I need you to implement this as schema in your, in your production code. 
Um, that that's number one. I think that is a huge shift and it's really important and can solve a ton of problems today. The next thing is the, the, the development of the data model has to be iterative. This is not something certainly in convoy. If we decided to say, we're going to halt everything and then we're going to go out and build this sort of logical model. And then we're going to make all the engineers, you know, map the data that they're already emitting to that model we, I, I, somebody would probably punch me in the face. We're in the meeting of, go, we're like, we're right in the middle of, of, of um, trying to grow quickly. We just had a fundraise. We did our series E. So now, you know, Conway is thinking potentially about an IPO in the future. And they're just not that focused on, you know, like spending all of these cycles to make our, our data better. It has to be done in an iterative way. Um, and I, I think, I think that's the only way it's going to work, at least for sort of these modern tech companies. The third point is like, there needs to be a collaboration system, which we've, we've already sort of talked about, um, where the engineer and the data person are, are frequently and consistently talking to each other in advance of the feature actually being built. And then the last is, is really uh, thinking about data as part of the product. That's the other, that's the other mind, the, the mental shift that needs to happen with the modern software engineering team is the, the data that I generate, it has a customer, right? It has a, it has a consumer. The, we need to like we would never push out a feature to production that was was bad that like broke people um it, it needs to have an sla uh there's a user experience and we need to make that user experience very high quality so i i think those are mental shifts that can actually happen now that are low cost that can start iteratively Im improving things uh for the future to get more to this like agile mentality yeah, I really like this focus on outcomes and business utility and users as opposed to what tends to happen where it's like, all right, we're going to build the data warehouse. Let's let's spec it all out as a data team and figure out, you know, how do we handle all this different financial data without actually talking to the finance team, for example. I mean, Bill, how important was it back when you, you came up with the idea for the data warehouse? I mean, how, how important was the notion of uh, collaborating um, you know, I guess understanding the, the business outcomes and, um, you know, the data that you'd need. Was, was this a, was this a controversial topic back then? Or, um, um, to be given an honest answer, no, it wasn't. Uh, 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 back in the early days, the early, early days of Data Warehouse, uh, the struggle in that day and age was, uh, Everybody wanted to do everything with transaction processing systems. If it wasn't a transaction processing systems, it didn't exist. And, and what came to my mind was that data can be used for far more. Nothing wrong with transaction processing systems, but there's a lot more to life than transaction processing systems. And the fact that uh, there were a lot of other aspects to this uh, uh, observation never entered my mind. I, I was just trying to uh, explain what to people why there was more to life than transaction processing systems. That was that was really the origins of the data warehouse. That's really interesting. I mean, let's dive a bit into that because I, I kind of like the history lesson here about the data warehouse. I think it's uh, it's always good. It, it, so. I guess what was your aha moment with this? Did it was it was it kind of a like over time you sort of realized this, or was it all of a sudden like one day you well, wake up and it's like this needs to? This needs I, to be. I wrote an article one time in Computer World. I don't even know if Computer World still exists, but uh, uh, once upon a time in our industry we had a weekly journal called Computer World, and I used to write articles for them. And I wrote an article in Computer World about the fact that that there was more to data than just transaction processing systems. And the reaction that I got from that was amazing. That was my aha moment because uh, 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 all of a sudden, people from all over started writing me uh, uh, letters. Most of the letters and, and comments were, were positive. Some of the comments were extremely negative. Uh, I, I, I still have a collection, uh, and I go through it every now and then, uh, uh, people saying, uh, you are a data anarchist. Uh, you're, setting, you're setting our industry back 25 years. I should never be allowed to speak in public again, uh, were some of the reactions. But, but for all of those negative reactions, there were probably 
25 positive reactions. And uh, uh, that was that was my aha moment. The hilarious thing, too, is that things really haven't I mean, they've changed and they haven't. Right. Like I think big enterprises have come around to this idea that you need a separate analytics like OLAP system of some sort. But over and over again, we get calls from potential clients. They're like, hey, this data system is falling over. And we look at it. It's like, well, you're using Postgres transactional as both your application backend and your analytics backend. Like that, that's your problem right there. Yeah. Happens often. That's interesting. And then, you know, kind of um, not, to, not to trigger you at all, but then there, there was a, it seemed like there was sort of a fork with the data warehouse where um, another guy, uh, Ralph Kimball, kind of came on the scene. Um, and um, walk me through that. that I mean, I, I love your perspective on that, that event in history because I think uh, well, sometimes people will say, you know, it's the Yenman Kimball data warehouse. I'm like, I don't think you... Ralph, okay, and and I had this is my opinion, and I uh, tell you this is my opinion. You're certainly entitled to your opinion. What Ralph was talking about was not a data warehouse. Uh, uh, if you take a look at what Ralph Kimball has written, uh, he says you build your data marts directly from uh, uh, applications. You you can avoid the difficulty of integrating data, and that's what made the uh, building of data marts so attractive is that, oh my gosh, we don't have to go integrate data. That's dirty, dirty job. So I, I don't think what Ralph, I, I, I credit Ralph to uh, talking to us about building data marts, not data warehouses. And now he used the word data warehouse, not data marts. And I think that caused great confusion in our, in our industry, but uh, uh, that's a, uh, that's that's is how I, I I I saw it. So I don't I, now I I think I think if Ralph had used the word data mart and he had uh, connected it, you know, on many eight times now I've invited Ralph to speak at a conference or to have a joint uh, public forum on on uh, the differences. And eight times Ralph has turned me down, and so I, I have gone out of my way. Uh, to try to, uh, to 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 get public um, scrutiny and and uh, of what the issues are, uh, but but and 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 by the way, I'm pretty sure Ralph is retired now. I don't think he's going to be coming out of retirement, so uh, uh, so it's pretty much a dead issue. But uh, uh, data, Ralph Kimball did not build data warehouses. Ralph built Ralph Kimball built data marts. Um, and if anyone knows Ralph Kimball and wants him to come out of retirement for a quick chat uh, with uh, with Bill, we'd love to love to host that. So, yeah, and I think that is a source of confusion because um, you know the the term data warehouse is. Um, I mean, I I, I admit, I, I when I first saw it, I was confused. It's like, was that a, is that the same thing as like facts and dimensions or something? And then I you know I started reading more into it. And I was like, it certainly isn't. I mean, the, what you came up with, you know, your, your points about you know, subject oriented, um, you know, time frame and so forth. I mean, that's a very explicit definition. I mean, you even caught me on one of the, the definitions too. And I, when I sent something for your review, you're like, oh yeah. And you forgot the, uh, four, um, management decisions, right. Yeah. And supportive management decisions. That's a key, key part of that. That's so, actually a key part of it. Interesting. Yeah. yeah it, I, I, I would submit that data warehouse is one of the most incorrectly used terms in, in software. I think that's fair. <laughs> I agree with that. <laughs> but I think, it, I think it's awesome though, that you, you are still, um, I, I think, you know, championing the, the, you know, the original definition of it. And so I hope that more people can, uh, um, you know, uh, learn from that. I mean, what, if you were to, if you were to suggest like one place for people to find the, the, the um, correct version of a data warehouse bill, what, where would they uh, look at that? Well, this, this is going to sound very old fashioned, but, the original book called Building the Data Warehouse uh, uh, does the definition of a data warehouse, where it came from, why we need it. That's still, to this day, that's still the best definition of where to look for a data warehouse. Still a good book, too. For, for the research we were doing in our book, I, I read through it and I was like, this is... Well, it's it, still I don't know if you know it, but uh, uh, worldwide, it sold about a half a million copies, which, which for... Our industry is unheard of. It's been translated into nine languages, sold a half a million copies, and uh, um, um, 
and it's still selling by the way Dang, that's cool but you wrote you wrote another book just right now you said you submitted it to the publisher yeah uh uh i i i i write like some people play golf uh, writing to me is a hobby not 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 work but uh my publisher steve uh uh, Hoberman, I don't know if you know Steve. Steve's uh, actually going to be on the show uh, uh, this summer. So. Oh, nice. oh, that's that's great. Steve's yeah. a great guy. Steve and I have been friends for. I was thinking about it. I don't remember when I first became friends with Steve. If my memory serves me correctly, it was over fifty years ago. So Steve and I have been friends and acquaintances for fifty years. But I was talking with Steve the other day, and 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 uh, I, I said to Steve, I said. Uh, uh, Steve, you know, uh, the subject that everybody hates, consultants hate it, vendors hate it, everybody hates integration of data. And I said, as far as I can tell, uh, nobody has sat down and talked about what does it mean to integrate data? So the, the first step to not fearing something is to understand it. So, and I have no idea if the book is going to sell one copy or or no copies at all. I don't care. I wrote the book for myself so that somebody in the industry has sat down and said, what does it mean to integrate data? And so, uh, um, so that, that's the story behind that book. That's really cool. When does it come out? Oh, 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 it's, it's, it's just in the early publication now. Uh, let's see. This is the month. It'll probably be September or October. Very cool. We'll definitely have to uh, get you back on the show and talk about that book. I'm going to go buy it because it, I think it's, it, it is one of those. Um, it, there's there's so much lost art out there. And I, when I met Steve, he he's uh, you know the I would say the OG in data modeling. Chad, you should yep. go look at Steve Hoberman. Um, I mean, I, I was I was impressed because I mean, but again, these these are like very um, serious topics that I think just don't get discussed enough. Like integration. Well, I mean, you've been hammering on that for years, and it's like. I know, and 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 I kept talking about it as if everybody knew all about it, and and it, believe me, Teradata, IBM, SAP, Oracle, Microsoft, all of them, they hide from integration. That that's the last thing they want to hear is, oh my gosh, we've got to go get our hands dirty. You can't do integration without getting your hands dirty. It's like gardening. You cannot go plant tomato plants in your backyard without getting mud on your hands. You can't do it. I don't care who you are. Well, and uh, data integration has become so much more important, I would argue, in the last 20 years as well. I mean, in the 90s, your assumption was, okay, I have, yeah, I have data from a couple different systems. Maybe I have an inventory system over here and I have a sales system. And maybe in the late 90s, you had a website and I need to integrate data from all those sources. And now we frequently run into clients that might have 100 different SaaS platforms that they're interacting with. So, you know, you can have ad tech platforms like Google Ads and Facebook Ads. Um, you can have project management platforms, email, Google Docs, like all these things. You need to get data from all those sources and try to make sense of it. And it's just an insanely hard problem. And avoidance is not going to solve this problem. And avoidance and, and, and boy, vendors vendors run run as fast as they can when they hear the word integration that's awesome I'm looking forward to this book maybe uh, if you want somebody to review it i mean happy to be a look at it oh okay <laughs> that yes, would be fine. Shoot, yeah cool shoot it over that's awesome i know we're uh, coming up on time here so uh respectful of everybody's time thanks to the audience by the way uh great comments and questions here we didn't get them at that many questions but it's a uh, fun enough panel that don't, don't really need to. We ask each other great questions. Um, Chad, uh, if people want to learn more about you, how can they do that? Uh, yeah, well, you can certainly um, go to my LinkedIn. It's just uh, Chad Sanderson on, on LinkedIn. And then I also have a, a Substack where I write about data products. It's just dataproducts.substack.com. Oh, good score on the name. So, Thanks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Bill, if anyone <laughs> wants to uh, learn more about what you're up to, or how, how would they do that? Uh, well, uh, I've, we are quite busy, uh, uh, and, and I run a, a company in addition to writing books, I run a company. And so, uh, uh, I, I, I post on LinkedIn all the time. Uh, I, uh, I write books, I write articles. And so just look my name up and you'll find me. That's awesome. Cool. Well, oh, for oh, oh, I might add, speaking yeah. of finding me, did you know that there's another Bill Inman? 
Oh, no, I did I not was know at a that. I was at a conference a while back, and somebody came up to me, and this was a serious conversation. He said, I thought you were in prison. And I go, I was in prison? Why would I be in prison? He says, because of the people you killed. And I go, what? And I, I thought the guy was joking. If you go look up on the internet, Bill Inman, serial killer, you will find that, and, and furthermore, they're going to be doing a Netflix special on this guy. So, so there's going to be a Netflix true crime show on the murders of Bill Inman. And, and uh, so, so anyway, uh, if you look up Bill Inman, uh, I'm not the serial killer. I, I mean, no, data I integration really can get contentious, I guess, in political. Can we just share this real quick? <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. Funny. Um, let me see here if I can share this. It's, well, I didn't know. That's kind of a trip, though. Um, yeah, it yeah is. so uh, in case you're wondering, um, uh, that Bill Inman is not the Bill Inman. Yes. On the, okay, just to clarify, <laughs> in case you can't see. <laughs> <laughs> I know that they look a lot alike, but they're... Um, <laughs> And, and I'm not in prison, and I don't intend to be in. I hope I hope I'm not in prison. Well, I, I I don't think I'll probably that. It's a Netflix special. That's that's pretty crazy. I have to keep an eye out for that. So okay, um, yeah, awesome. Um, well, Bill, I'll probably be in your neck of the woods pretty soon. So uh, assuming um, we can meet up, let's let's do so. So I'll make I hope so too. I hope so too. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Thanks to the audience. Uh, we'll see you next week. Uh, next week we have uh, Arjun from the um, uh, Data Engineering Weekly uh, newsletter. Actually, he's going to be on. Write some good articles too. So. Cool. We'll uh, see you all later and uh, talk soon. Thanks. Okay. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye -bye. Take care. Bye-bye.